Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well. How are you doing? Good. Oilers finally uh, got a lead in this series. They finally Seems like did. They've been coming from behind one game to zero, two games to one. They finally got their noses in front. And it's not in the bag, but they're in a lot better position at this moment than L.A. is. Yeah. Are those those aren't new glasses, are they, Bruce? Uh, a few weeks ago, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't like them. It's a different look. But it's a different look, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very suave. Very suave. <laughs> um, I was yeah, on was top just... of the latest fashions, David. You know I know. I know, Bruce. You too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a weird game in a lot of ways. Um, it had a strange intensity about it. Half regular season, half roller derby. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't have the same. I mean, that last game took a lot out of the orders. And it was interesting. I heard George LaRock on orders now talking about, he was just said emphatically and without any great confidence, as George says everything with great confidence and emphatically, the Kings are done. You know, that, that they're over, they're out. Wow, okay. them. And I just thought, wow, that's an interesting thing to say. I don't really see it that way, but it almost felt that way on a certain level tonight, that there was a lack of fight in the LA Kings. There was some starliness and some bitchiness and some, we're going to get you after the orders got, you know, went ahead 5-2. But there wasn't, there wasn't that same intensity. I suppose when you're, you know, really the difference in in this game, in the other games, it's not a whole lot except the play of the LA goaltender. Corpusala has been really, really sharp. And he's finally fallen apart. You know, I don't think he's going to get it back together, Bruce. Mentally, he's shot. I'm just saying that to further jinx him. Uh, but, you know, the, the last, the, the, the Hyman, um, the Kane-Hyman-Kane goals, mm-hmm. um, that's got to hurt, you know, three outside shots like that, even though they were all tough in their own different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, um, anyway, it just seemed like without that superstar goalie, the LA Kings are entirely beatable, is, I guess, the feeling I'm getting. And if, you know, they need that, superlative goalie performance to beat the orders to stay with the orders and they didn't get it tonight yeah nor last game they got nine goals on uh corpus and something under 80 minutes uh between the fifth minute of the second period uh the other game where they got the first goal uh through the end of overtime so that was about 45 minutes and then uh he was blown from the net at the 11 49 mark of the second period when uh, he was beaten by uh, Nick Bugstad's deflection to make it 4-2. And uh, just like that, he was out of there at uh, at 4-2. It was kind of surprising. See a goalie get pulled in a, in a still a yeah. close game. But I think just wanted to shake it up, see if what worked for the Oilers, I guess, yeah. would, might work for them. Bruce, let's do our two good things. Two Bad Things and Two Numbers podcast. And because it's an Oilers win and a playoff game, we'll go with two good things each. And you, you should just move your mic a little bit to the side because I know people like to see your, your face and the mic that up towards your mouth as well. How's yeah. that sound good? That's better. Yeah. I think we can see it. Yeah. 
Okay, I kind of see it on my screen because it's got my name in front of. It's like like looking at a at a game on TNT. You know, you see a shot on goal, and all you see is the name of the player, uh, because they have this sort of video game style name bars that they they point to the players. I've seen already two goals where I couldn't see the puck go in the net because somebody's damn name bar was in front of where the action was. So, reminds me of that. Anyway. I, my, my, I have a little screen. I have you on the main screen, and then I have a little one up in the upper right. Uh, right-hand corner. Yeah. I can see me. It's like I got a very Star Trek kind of background today. And I guess it's with my, my bald it's head. Got my name in front of where the mic is. So. Oh, really? I don't know why. I mean, I know who I am. Probably nobody else can see it, so I don't know what the point is. <laughs> Bruce, your first good thing. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with uh, one of the many foot soldiers. This was a game for foot soldiers. Uh, that uh, there was contributions from up and down the lineup. And Nick Bukestad, who uh, caught my eye in a good way, actually throughout the series, I think he's been good. And tonight he got a very uh, important elevated role with the decision to put um, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl together with Kane on the first line. And then they had Hyman and Nugent Hopkins on the second line and Bukestad got got the call to 2C. Now, I, I have to say, I didn't see that coming, uh, but he was a good choice. I would have thought it would have been Nuge and, you know, a winger, but instead, uh, Yamamoto got demoted uh, right down to the fourth line, and frankly, uh, that didn't bother me at all because I don't think he's been a difference maker, and Bukestad has. And he certainly was a dif- difference maker tonight with two goals, Bukestad, in 16 minutes, 41 seconds, uh, three shots on net, six hits, a takeaway, and the two goals, one of which was a really nice deflection from in front that uh, that drove uh, uh, Corpusalo from the net. And then the sixth goal, and they, I, only then did I start to breathe a little easier when it was six to two, because these are the Oilers, you know, as our friend uh, uh, Wheaton Oil said on Twitter, you know, this is the Oilers, they could be three goals up or three goals down, and you know it isn't over yet. Because anything can happen, but uh, that made it that made it four, and it was just you know a, a kind of a lucky goal. He threw the puck into a good spot and it hit the goalie. It hit Mikey Anderson and it dribbled into the net, with Hyman crashing in hard. But uh, uh, the two goals were just part of what I just thought was an all-around very good game from uh, Bukestad, and I've generally been impressed with this player. You know, at the sort of the last-minute addition at low low price i mean his cap hit not that that matters anymore in the playoffs but just to get him in and on the roster at four hundred fifty thousand dollars it was some very sharp work by ken holland and he brought a lot of the stuff the orders needed more size a big guy a right-handed guy who could take face offs a guy can put the puck in the net once in a while and uh, you know take you know play two-way hockey and experienced player and he's all of those things and he can play center or wing to boot. So uh, yeah, a real that, nice utility guy to have around. Yeah, That second line was good with Hyman mm-hmm. and uh, Nugent Hopkins and him. And yeah, Bruce, he is, um, he's just, he's huge. <laughs> he mm-hmm. is one huge guy out there. Mm-hmm. He, um, that it wasn't, it, it was when he scored that fourth goal and to make it 4-2 that I relaxed. I'm thinking, okay, mm-hmm. they're going to win this game. Um and it was, and I loved it because, of course, it was, it was the kind of goal that is a backbreaker. It was the Californian, the That's outside shot, 
by Cody Cece um, tipped into the net. And those, just, they hurt those goals. They hurt your team. They hurt everybody because it's just like, ah, how did they score that? And But they, mm-hmm. but they did. And it counts mm-hmm. every bit as much as any other kind of goal. Bothers the goalie, it bothers defensemen, it bothers the, the the forward who allowed the outside shot. Anyone who leading up to it lost the battle, you know, because usually they come off the cycle like this one. Yeah. You know, there was almost all the yeah. So it's a it's a team defeat, and um, it was it was yeah. fantastic to see the uh, the California. Of course, this is named after the San Jose Sharks. Essentially, the San Jose Sharks duo of Brent Burns and um, Joe Pavelski, who, Pavelski. Joe Pavelski, yeah, who uh, who constantly scored um, the Californian against the Edmonton Oilers. But now we're utilizing it. We scored two Californians tonight against the um, California team. And my first good thing is the weirdest Californian I've ever seen. <laughs> There's been lots of weird ones. There were tonight. But um, Bouchard's. Thank goodness his muffed shot, because if that had been a bullet shot, like if it had been his normal 90-mile-an-hour shot, of course it wouldn't have been that high. goes mm-hmm. in off Hyman's face into the net. and it was, That's using your face. That's using your head noggin. <laughs> um, he, such a relief to see him celebrating the goal, smiling afterwards, brushing it off. telling Holding him his shot. jaw while he's tapping the guys on the bench. Yeah. That was yeah, good. that was fantastic. And... Um, that made it 5-2, and it was really over then, of course. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the Oilers' power play hadn't been doing much up until that um, that particular power play, at least. And uh, But um, that's all you needed to do was uh, put it in off Zach Hyman's head. The yeah, weirdest. I, t- I, I tweeted right after that. I'm surprised the NHL didn't take that goal away from Hyman because his chin was above the crossbar. And that got a lot of likes on the Oilers' Twitter. I've seen too many goals taken away from Zach Hyland, <laughs> Pyman for various bizarre reasons this That's year. But, but uh, yeah, anyway, that was uh, uh, good times. But yeah, uh, my second good thing, and, and this is yet to be fully confirmed, but my, my good thing is that the Oilers kept getting up and kept coming back to the game. Man, this was a rough game, a rugged game, and there was guys going down the tunnel left and right. There was, you know, guys crumpled in the corner. Uh, Warren Fogle got absolutely smoked twice, once by Mm -hmm. Drew Doughty at the center red line with a great hit. And the other one, he got buried headfirst into the corner boards uh, by Sean Dersey on a not great hit. That should should be evaluated. Yeah. Uh, that said, I mean, who was it who buried Bouchard into the boards in overtime the other night? They never looked at Kempe. that. So, yeah, they never looked at that. But anyway, this was kind of like that. Uh, Broberg blew yeah. a wheel and, and went crashing into the into the side wall, and he was down and out for a while. Uh, Hyman took that shot in the face. He took a cross check in the ribs, and that's nowhere close to all of them. CC he blocked a shot and went limping down the tunnel. Uh yeah, it was just seemed like one guy Crunch. after another was uh uh and any one of them, you know, could have wound up with consequences where the guy went down and didn't get up. And so my good thing is that they kept getting up. Uh and that includes uh Evander Kane who got up and, you know, played this game after being pretty banged up coming into it. So it's uh 
uh, the Warriors are toughing it out. And you got to win Stanley Cup playoffs, and uh, and they're doing it. And I suspect there'll be a few ice bags in the room tonight. And I dare say there might be an ice bag or two in the LA Kings room tonight. But so it goes. So they took a few shots too. The only thing I didn't like, David, I got to say, is uh, when the fans, when when Drew Doughty went down and he got the big cheer. I think that's that's not a good look for. When did he go down? I'm just trying to remember that first. Uh, what happened I think there. it was in the second period. He, yeah. McDavid hit him with a shot. He made a good shot block. Oh, and that he shot. He kind of went down and he stayed down for a second or two and struggled to his feet. And people were cheering. And I thought, that's that's a bit harsh. Anyway, I, I've never liked. I remember Calgary fans cheering when Gretzky got hurt. And Calgary fans cheering when Dale Howardchuck broke his ribs. And thinking, you know, that's that's not what it's about. At least not for me. Obviously, it is for some people. Anyway, there was lots of there was lots of uh, uh, lots of chippiness, lots of cheapness, lots of sort of weird ones where guys got out of the blue, got smoked by something or you know, random object hit by a meteor, you know, whatever. And it was uh, uh, the good news for me is they all kept coming back for more. Indeed. What did you think of Kevin Fiala's dive? Does that yeah, guy when I first look- saw it, I thought, oh, no, we're going to be three on five. Yeah. And then the more I saw the replay, I thought, that's nothing. Like, it, maybe it's if they want to call tripping, then they better call embellishment. Or maybe it's just as well just to call nothing like they did. And yeah, it was uh, it was. Uh, he is a dive and- artist. And he's also uh, yeah. got a. I love that he got called for tripping Skinner. He was the second guy to yeah. do that. I followed yes. it, and then Fiala did it, and then they scored with him in the box. And so deal with it, Fiala. You were the goat on that one. He's got the beard and mustache of a sinister villain, <laughs> and he is a total dive artist. He really is. Two two games in a row, he's taken major mm-hmm. dives. Yeah. And um, of course, he got. It was interesting that call that dry saddle that LA Kings fans are upset about. And initially, I was looking at the replay, I'm thinking maybe that isn't a penalty because I was just looking at the elbow. I thought, oh, this is an elbowing. But you, when you watch it again, you can see he got well, his stick in between right dry saddle's leg. He takes his stick. It's a totally a penalty. It's an obvious penalty. So he's a very sneaky and smart and a very good hockey player. But he is it's a, a can villain. opener or a corkscrew. You know, I got you put yeah. stick your stick between a guy's skates, and he goes down. They're usually going to call it. In this case, the, mm-hmm. the stick went from Drysdale's right skate to his left knee, and then back jammed under his right skate and actually pushed under his right skate and just sent him flying. I mean, Leon's not exactly a dive artist, and uh, he went down hard, and it was because the, st- the stick got wedged in under his skate. Simple call. Indeed. Bruce, uh, my good thing is Brett Kulak, mm-hmm. who has been arguably the Oilers' best defenseman this series. Um, he doesn't play the toughest minutes, though, in the most minutes, so I wouldn't say he's been the best defenseman. Because when you get the tougher assignments, just the degree of difficulty ratchets way up. And um, it's it's just not the same. But in the minutes he he has been getting... He has been outstanding. I mean, just he has been outstanding. He's skating well, moving the puck well, playing confidently, defending extremely well. Um, and tonight he scored an absolutely fantastic goal. Ryan McLeod comes out of the corner and whips the puck 
across right across the crease uh one side of the ice to the other and kulak is steaming in from the point um quinton byfield is supposed to be covering him loses him and um uh kulak puts it in he bruce um you know we track major mistakes on grade a shots against and if a defenseman's doing his job, he he usually make maybe one a game on a, one. That's pretty good. If you average just one a game, you're actually doing pretty well. Kulak's only made one major mistake on a grade wow. A shot at even strength all series. Wow. All series, Bruce. And <clears throat> that compares to just to make put that into context. Ekholm has made ten such oh. mistakes. Um, Evan Bouchard has made fifteen. <sighs> DeHarnay has made seven. Uh, Cody Cece has made nine. Darnell oh. Nurse has made 13. Um, Broberg hasn't made anybody. He's hardly played. And Kulak so, won and everybody else Kulak is like seven won. to 15. Yeah. Wow. It's it's astonishing. Like he, mm-hmm. he's just crushing it. Mm-hmm. He really is. So, um, you know, if someone, I was worried like if someone got hurt in the top four, because Kulak hadn't, Actually, he had a weak first half, and he had a really good second half. He's been trending up all year, and he's mm-hmm. going to make it interesting because the owners, I think, need to make room for Philip Broberg on this team next year, and that means moving one of the veteran players, I think. But um, who's it going to be? I thought it was going to be Kulak, but if he keeps playing like this, I mean, he's just crushing it in these playoffs. So uh, we'll see what happens there, but good for him, and that was a fantastic goal. Um, that he scored. There, the orders had been um, uh, cycling the puck in the offensive end on that particular play. With uh, I think Derek Ryan rushed it in. Um, Fogel made a pass in the corner to McLeod, and mm-hmm. um, it was uh, McLeod's great pass and then Kulak's great finish. So, uh, a beautiful goal by a player who's having a beautiful playoffs. It was the first line goal scored by the third line and third defense pair. Sweet. In terms of the passing play, uh, Ryan passed it to Fogel. Fogel just made a little drop pass in the corner to McLeod, just sort of one touch, dropped it over to McLeod. And he had Bruman sort of the viewing angle to come out of the corner and find Kulak right across the far goal crease. Like he whipped a pass right across the net front and Kulak just buried it from the far side. That was a, a really sweet four-way passing play. From you know guys that wouldn't be on top of anyone's list of guys you expect to be involved in plays like that, but uh, yeah, this was a night where the Oilers were getting uh, were getting contributions from up and down, and uh, and uh, in that case it was the uh, third line's uh, moment to shine. David, I'll bet you if you looked into Kulak's second half, you might find that he really started to shine uh, in March and April when the team really shone. Uh, what the key moment being the acquisition of Ekholm that allowed the replacement of Kulak from the second to third pairing. And he does shine as a third pairing defenseman. He's very good as a three left D. And as a second left D, he, you know, he held his own, but he, you know, he wasn't exactly a standout. I thought he did okay well, for the most part at two left D, but at three left D, he's, a, he's golden. It actually started before then, Bruce. He was, yeah. he, it's been pretty, yeah, kind of in the, almost the last 50 games, the first 30 mm-hmm. games were really weak. 
Like, what's going on with this guy? Like, this is why they were looking at trading for what was Joel Edmondson with all that talk. Oh, <laughs> Joel Edmondson, and then Vladislav Gavrikov. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who then, is pretty good. Who is pretty good. And then finally they settled on Ekholm. But this was all because Kulak couldn't make it as the second pairing D-man. But they did start to use him less um, mm-hmm. overall. And But he, in the last 50 games, I think it was pretty yeah. steady. He became a pretty yeah. steady reliable to good defenseman and now in the playoffs like i say he's he's not playing the toughest role but in what he is playing he's just he's absolutely crushing it yeah well th- against the uh, what we used to call the softs on the old augustor the soft competition the third line mm-hmm. third pairing of the other team uh he's more than good enough against those guys like they're paying him like a four or five uh, actually, they're really paying him like a five, and as a five, yeah. he's solid, and he's shown it again in these uh, in these playoffs. So yeah, they one of the things I would say is his really good play more coincides when he was taken off the PK when DeHarnay arrived, and then he just settled in at even strength. That's all he had to worry about because he wasn't very good on the PK. I don't know why, it's just not his forte. But um, the between him, him, Barry, and Bouchard, <laughs> Poor Tyson we Barry. had trouble putting out four good uh, penalty killers, and that's where sure DeHarnay made a big difference almost right away. Yeah, was his ability <laughs> to kill, and they they started using him in the PK right away. It wasn't any of this. Well, you're the number seven, so you know you get in once in a while. They just started using him on the penalty kill, and he yeah. was getting two minutes a game right off the they right off desperate. the hop. Yeah, well, they were, and he—that was the hole that they need, that needed filling, and they used him there. So, Tyson Berry, like I, I liked him. He became he became a very a good decision maker. On the time that he joined the Oilers, from the beginning to the end, he transformed from a mediocre defenseman at even strength to an to an okay average one, which is good to transform mm-hmm. it all. Like to at that stage of your he career, got better, improve, sure. he got better in his decision making. But man, when they tried him on the PK. Whoa, he was just so overmatched out there. You need that size yeah, on the PK yes. in the defensive slot, and he didn't have it. And then Bouchard, it just doesn't seem that suited for it either, is the truth. Um, Bruce, we are moving on. Mm-hmm. We are moving on to our bad things. What is your bad thing? Yeah, I'm going to take, uh, of the three ugly goals against, uh, I'm going to take the second one of the three. And this was... Uh, late in the first period, which the Oilers had dominated and had a two-goal lead, which he wanted to take into the room, and Nugent Hopkins had just hit the post at the at the far end, and uh, he was on with Costin and Yamamoto, which was the fourth line tonight. It was Nugent's turn on that line, and then the puck about 20 seconds later, maybe the puck came down into Edmonton's end, and they just kind of lost their minds positionally and the puck was on the left wing boards and uh, CC had uh, Adrian Kempe, the ultimate goal scorer, high on the left wing boards and he let him go and the puck went down low on the boards to the ever dangerous Carl Grundstrom holding the puck along the side wall and he showed the puck to Darnell Nurse long enough for Darnell to go, I gotta get that puck and he jumped out and tried to make the, the stop hit. and make the hit. And by the, he didn't make the hit, but by the time he made the hit, the puck was long gone. Of course, he didn't stop the pass coming through either. 
And here's Adrian Kempe barreling in on goal. And who's back covering for the Oilers? Kyler Yamamoto. All five foot eight, 153 pounds of Kyler Yamamoto trying to deal with this big, high-skilled LA Kings forward. It ended badly. And the last guy I blame on that sequence is Yamamoto, who at least was trying to do something. And it was kind of, you know, I mean, not in the right place for him, but at least he was back and covering. And maybe the bad thing was Nurse thought he had coverage, so he made that run at Grunstrom. All he had to do was hold his position and protect the front of the net. Grunstrom wasn't going to hurt him. And I don't know, David, he just uh, just keeps reminding me, like, I wonder if he sometimes thinks he's still in Sault Ste. Marie. And it's just like, I'm going to go get that puck and it's everything's going to be fine. Sometimes you just got to, you know, hold your position, let the play come to you, and then react to the actual danger man, not Carl Grunstrom. I was going to ask you at the end of the podcast what you thought of his play, because other than that play, I thought he was quite a bit better. But And, and even that play first, is... He was first yeah. star of this game, David. Did you know that? He was named the first star of this game. Well, that's that was a bad play. Overs. He did play way better, but that was he that did. was a bad play. I mean, he, he was much more contained in this game. But mm-hmm. you know, I just think on a play like that, why are you going for like he yeah. has the puck? Yeah. Job one on is the boards on the boards. Job one is you do not want him to pass the puck into the slot. Right. You've got to get stick on puck. Mm-hmm. You have got to get your stick down there. And jamming it at the puck so he doesn't have a lane to pass it in. And he didn't. He his he went for the hit and his stick's up in the air as he's plowing through the guy. It's I don't know. Like he just I, I it's didn't a think he needed to go for anything. But what, just, pardon me? You know, I didn't think he needed to go for anything. Like Grunstrom's on the boards and he left his position in front of the net that Kempe immediately uh uh took took advantage of the space that got well, left you, behind. You might so, want to pressure the puck carrier. Just don't let him have an easy pass. No. Maybe, someone else... C- maybe CC could have done that instead of nothing. Well, CC <laughs> should have. CC had a total brain fart. Yeah. Now CC's a very good positional player. Mm-hmm. He usually is in position. Yeah. He mm-hmm. he's a very solid stay-at-home defenseman at this point of his career, and he just totally had a lapse. He just yeah. let Kempe yeah, go. That's a, fair, that's a fair word for it, and it's my bad thing. Like, I'm not saying these guys stunk all game, but they sure had a brain cramp collectively. <laughs> when you have both Cody Cece and Darnell Nurse playing left wing and Kyler Yamamoto playing defense, chances are you're not doing it exactly the way it was drawn up in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, in the room. <laughs> Initially on that play, I was also really sour about Stuart Skinner. And I was thinking, like, why didn't you come out to poke check him? Or why didn't you he cut down deep, the ankle? deep, deep in the net. Yeah, he was so, he was right on the goal line. Yeah. And I do think he could have been out further. But uh, when I was watched it again, Kempe is coming in from the wing with the puck on his backhand. So mm-hmm. what Skinner, I think, was doing was hugging the post. Because there was, a, there was like, a, a decent chance that Kempe was going to launch a backhand shot towards yeah. the post which would have been a re- so that's that that's why he's back like right. that it, it made sense when i thought about it but initially i was kind of cheesed off about that but I, I in the end i kind of exonerate skinner um and in fairness that was a world-class finish by campaign oh I mean, yeah he took advantage of that lapse big time so you guys are going to screw around like this okay i'm going to score and he's quite a player <laughs> he's quite a player he is good yeah he's a good hockey player the kings have some good hockey players they do um, my bad thing, I'm going to just on the next, the, the, um, the first goal against and the third goal against, there was a certain Edmonton Oiler 
who left the goal scorer both times wide freaking open in the slot. Absolutely wide open. It was his job to check them. There was nothing impeding him from doing it except his lack of concentration and intent, defensive intensity. Um, on the first goal, it was Ayafalo who pops it in. On the second goal, it's Quinton Byfield. Both goals were stoppable easily if that player had made the defensively conscientious play, and that player was Connor McDavid. He's totally screwed the pooch on uh, both those goals. He, he just, I don't know what he's doing, but those are two of the biggest defensive let-ups, and if they had been at more crucial moments of the game, I mean, that's these kinds of things can be consequential. And mm-hmm. as the captain, the team leader, the guy who's bearing down on defense, it's not acceptable anymore. He's got to make those plays for the orders to win the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup this year. And they got away with it this game. But they've almost lost this series, Bruce, because they I think they've been the better team in four out of the five. Yeah, four out of the five games. And they've almost lost this series, though, because mm-hmm. um, of defensive lapses by their key players uh, in key moments. And these, this is an example of that. Yeah, he was right next to the guy. Like he was right next to Ifolo on the first goal. Yeah, and he just skated away from him down towards the edge of the crease when the guy that was going to bang the puck in the net was, you know, the guy that he was next to originally. Uh, I think that was the first one. I mean, yeah. the two mistakes had things in common for sure. And on the Byfield one again, like he was the he was the right guy to 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 stay, pick up Byfield and stay with him. At least, you yeah. know, battle him for the puck. And, and he just kind of left the the goal scorer open to scoop the puck into the net both times. And, you know, and then I heard in the post game they're talking about, well, McDavid, he doesn't care how many points he scores. He just wants to win. And uh, that's all great in theory, but sometimes you gotta, you got you to gotta put your nose to the grindstone. And, and, you know, every goal you prevent is worth one on the scoreboard. But... Uh, uh, you know, and, and sure, he scores a million points. He's a great player, and I don't, you know, I don't want to just sound like it's a massive yeah. criticism, but it is a criticism that he would be an even greater player if he did sometimes some of the fairly routine things at the defensive end of the sheet, like pick up a man and stay with the guy, and you know, and, and uh, well, he, he uh, does do those things fairly routinely. He just he has he lapses. On these, yeah, well, yeah, he had he two had of them tonight. And he and he has a, he has a he has a fairly high number of lapses, right? Like he wound he's up not, with a big fat minus two in this game, and he earned it. He's not a selfish mechanic. Put it that way. He's not close. Like he's he's not close to being a defensive center, mm-hmm. like the the top two way centers in the league. Mm-hmm. And if that's his goal, and it should be his goal, mm-hmm. um, he's not he's not close to that yet. And it's shown in this series. And uh, you know, it's a, I have a crit- same criticism of Leon, right? They're oh, both, they both have, and you know that. No, and then you, and you're right. I mean, they both have, uh, they both have their defensive lapses, and and Kane and Hyman, and I'd like to think that that's stuff that could be cleaned up. And you know, when I when I think of uh, great teams that won the uh, Stanley Cup, uh, I often do think of great uh, two-way players that you know look after business at both ends of the sheet like Sidney Crosby or Brian Trache or you know I mean you can run the gamut yeah guys uh, 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 and 
in some ways, the defensive part is it should be the easier, but it doesn't come naturally to offensive no. players. It's, it's just a matter of concentration and application and and uh, not freelancing. And many, many offensive-minded players are freelancers. Uh, Gretzky and, was never a great defensive. Like, they're, they're, the owners won cups without Gretzky being a great defender. And Lemieux, I don't think, was ever a great defender. Like, there have been teams that have had lots of playoff mm-hmm. success with their great attacking players not being great defenders, like with plenty mm-hmm. of lapses. Um, so it's not unheard of. You can still win the cup. just makes it, <laughs> makes it a little harder. And I don't know if the owners have that margin for error. I don't see, right. you know, they don't have the elite goaltending that um, the owners had in the 80s, for instance. And um, so I just, I just... I'm more critical of McDavid's defense than I ever was of Gretzky's defense. I don't think I would have ever said a word. Of course, I wasn't analyzing scoring chances back then either with video. But um, yeah, the great one didn't play center in the traditional no. fashion at all. He was often the high man. He was. He wasn't the low guy in the zone. The they just zone did zone. it differently, and they 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 wanted to kill you on the counterattack, and they did. Yeah. And it, you didn't kill him on the counterattack by, you know, starting from behind his own net. So, so I'm harder on McDavid because I know that for this team to win, they mm-hmm. can't. They're going to have to be more solid defensively. And to be fair to him, we know that he can do it because we see sometimes absolutely fantastic defensive plays where oh, he yeah. comes from behind and he races back, lifts the guy's stick, saves a goal. He can do that kind of thing. And then so it's so frustrating when you say, well, there's a goal that was scored just because he wasn't paying attention. You know, or didn't 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 anticipate. You know, this great reader of the game didn't anticipate the danger on a on a sort of a routine looking play, and all of a sudden there's a guy alone with the puck roofing it, and there's nobody around him. How did that happen? Yeah, well, this is why I don't like them on the ice protecting a lead. I just don't think they have defensive instincts, strong defensive instincts. But I do think McDavid, uh, in particular, has worked on it, and that he's a better defender than he was in the first three or four years of his career. That, um, yes, definitely. Yeah, so he's working on it. He's getting better. So, and and of course, Leon, when when Leon decides to to go for it defensively, he's a beast. He's he totally can do whatever he wants on defense, just like he can. Um, on um, he made a great defensive play in overtime the other night when you really sure need did. it because he can't make a mistake then or it's. Yeah, he in this in the defensive slot, he was there and mm-hmm. he stopped the play, which is what we wanted McDavid to do tonight on both those plays, and it didn't happen. Oh. They both, um, the first one, um, yeah, that's the one where it um, it gets Bouchard turns it over and it gets yeah. lobbed into the slot and there's one shot and then the rebound goes to Iofalo and that's uh, McDavid's man. Skinner kicks out a pretty, pretty big rebound, as I recall, right. on that first one. Yes. And then on the third one, it's uh, Ekholm coughs it up up the boards and Bouchard lets a pass out into the slot to Byfield and McDavid's not there on Byfield. Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, my number is uh, well, I guess it's one, uh, and this is uh, this is a big, huge shout out for the second power play unit for scoring their first goal of the entire season for the Edmonton Oilers this year. The first power play unit during the regular season, uh, there was a few goals to to be fair, where some members of the second unit were on the ice. 
But of the 89 goals that Edmonton scored in the regular season on the power play, 89 goals, most in the NHL, they were scored by uh, Leon Dreisaitl, 32, Connor McDavid, 21, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 15, Zach Hyman, 15, Tyson Berry, 4, Evan Bouchard, after the Berry trade, both of his two, and that adds up to 89 goals, and all of the other Edmonton Oilers were 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 power play goals. So their league-leading record-holding power play didn't get a single contribution from its second unit until tonight. And now in the playoffs, after we have the first six power play goals scored two each by Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Bouchard, there's Evander Kane. Powers home a wicked shot through, not only through a screen, but actually through uh, number three there, uh, Roy, Matt Roy for uh -huh. L.A. And uh, right in off the far post, past uh, bamboozled uh, Jonas Corpusalo. And this was when, you know, the second first unit changed out with like 30 seconds to go, like they often do. And usually the puck goes absolutely nowhere the rest of the time. Uh, uh, and this time it actually they worked it around and got this shot and boom off the post and in so after 95 straight goals by the first unit congratulations Edmonton Oilers second unit power play for uh, making a contribution and that was a huge goal that opened the scoring in this game and just the first of many sort of unexpected contributions tonight <clears throat> but there's nothing more unexpected than a goal from the second power play unit <laughs> And most uh, surprised of all was Jonas Jonas Corposalo to see that outside, another outside shot go go through. Uh, think, the what a great shot! <laughs> right through Matt Roy's legs, and mm. uh, can Kane ever fire that puck? He can really shoot. Right it's nice to see him shooting like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know how quick his hands are, but when he has a chance to, to zing a ringer or a shot, mm -hmm. he can really he's really able to do that. He was losing my second good thing tonight with his three shots and six hits and just his his uh, domineering presence. Like he he's a he's a real uh, presence out there, just a hulking uh, uh, winger, and he just barrels up and down the wing, and anybody gets in his way, well look out, because you could wind up anywhere, but most likely on your ass. Well, like Matt Roy when he tried <laughs> to get him in the last game and ended up head first into the boards. Yeah, I was explaining to my wife just how strong Kane must be on his skates. Yeah. I mean, so we were looking up pictures of like Kane on the internet, like him, his physique, and uh, there, he was in that ESPN uh, series when they used to take photographs of the, nude the naked guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so saw Kane was one of, of them. One of them. That guy is like a walking human muscle. He yeah. is. He is the most muscular person, probably mm -hmm. naturally. Like he, he's not like a bodybuilder. It's but he's just like just muscles on top of muscles. He is, and, and but he's right. quite slender in his own way too. But he's man, that guy is strong. No wonder that yeah. he no one can hit him off his skates. He's yeah. just running into solid a solid rock, yeah. you know. So I suspect he's a, a workout uh, king. Yeah, fanatic, that's so. the word. But he certainly looks like one. I mean, I remember that picture that they showed. You know that they. The, the, the uh, carefully framed picture that yeah. doesn't show anything other than the guy's entire body. And it just was, as you say, just muscles from head to toe. Just the only stick shown is the one in his hands, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well, that's fair. All right. Uh, just my, <laughs> my, my number is, um, it's, it's a number related to the order's incredible consistency in this series. The great A shots in this game were uh, 16 for the orders, 8 for the Kings, with the orders 7, 5 alarm shots, and uh, the Kings with just 5. So this was, the orders have really dominated two games, game number two, and then this game. But the orders' total, grade A shot totals in the five games in order have been 16, 16, 15, 17, 16. Wow. Um, for an average of 16 per game. Mm-hmm. And they've, and, um, that um, that's they're just consistently able to get a really high number of grade A shots against a pretty good Los Angeles team, um, and um, that's you know if they can play defensive hockey, if you get 16 grade A shots, you're going to average four goals a game, which is what the orders have been averaging. Yep. And um, uh, looks like they're going to be able to do that. It's just the key is, you know, can you limit the Kings to 12, 13 shots, grade A shots, and then have the goalie um, also come up big. And I just wanted to ask you, what you what did you think of Stuart Skinner tonight? Well, I just thought he was fair. Uh, I didn't like the rebound much on the first goal, and I think that's the fifth goal that LA scored off a rebound in the series, which seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the uh, second goal, we talked about that he was a little deep in his net, but he did have to guard against uh, Kempe going wide on the backhand and trying to roof it that way. And instead, he pulled it to his forehand and roofed it that way. Uh, and uh, uh, he didn't have much chance on the third one. Uh, there was some sloppy uh, puck handling. There was one horrendous rebound in the third period of an easy shot that came into his glove and it just sprung out into a slot and some guy walked in for a clear shot from down low. That was then terrible. There was, then there was one on the late power play where it comes all the way over to the to the boards to stop a puck that's coming down the ice an inch in front of the goal line and just stop it there for Evan Bouchard. And what he does is he crosses up Bouchard. He leaves the puck there. Bouchard doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And now the L.A. guy jumps on it and comes around the net and tries to stuff it. And, I mean, Skinner got back and he made the save. But that was just miscommunication and making a chance out of, out of nothing. Well, they got a power play and a three-goal lead, and they're winding down the clock. And the only thing you can't have is a shorty. And yeah. you know, just get your communication together. I'm actually kind of surprised they held LA to eight tonight because I thought defensively the Oilers were fairly sloppy for chunks of the game. Uh, but um, LA, I don't think LA played well, very well at all tonight. And I think maybe the Oilers have that comeback the other night probably took something out of them, and they're, they're getting to them. And just like uh, George Larocq said. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, maybe so. I mean, both teams will probably be happy to have three days off before uh, next game. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, LA was the second best club tonight. Another thing that kind of showed that to me was even when they were trailing, they didn't seem like they had much idea what to do. Uh, in the last end of the second period, Edmonton had the puck in their own end with like 15 seconds to go, and LA didn't even forecheck them. They just—it was like the end of a game, you know, it's a blowout game, and they—they they just let Edmonton hold the puck for the whole end of the period. And then even in the third, three-goal lead, four-goal lead, Edmonton has the puck in front of their own net, and the guys holding the puck there, looking around, they're making line changes, and LA is set up in a one-three-one out in the neutral zone. Well, message: you're behind. 
you know, maybe want to make something happen. But <laughs> I wonder why the owners just don't keep hold the, the puck, puck and just keep yeah, like just why even advance it? If you got a two goal lead, down. if you have a two goal lead and it's more than halfway through the game and they're hanging out there at center ice, all right, mm-hmm. yeah. all right, we're we are not coming, we are yeah. staying in our own zone and we're waiting for you. We'll wait for you to make your move and you come. And I understand Chris Pronger did that, he went waited behind the net. Um, against some team, and then the refs told him he had to move. I don't know why he asked to move. Why does he have to move? You know, they come and get him. Like, seriously. So um, I I think um, Eckholm did it on one shift where he waited like three or four seconds longer than than normally. But I just think it it does give the orders a chance to regroup and get settled. And um, when you're behind, I don't know about that as a strategy. They just stick to it, though. Like, they, they just love parking that bus and keeping it parked. Yeah, and there was a delayed penalty in the third where the Oilers wasted probably 40 or 50 seconds in their own territory, and they never were challenged. I was just saying, keep it down there. Let the clock yeah. wind right down. Play it down there until the buzzer goes off. You don't need the power play. you got the lead, you know. But eventually they they came out and tried to make something happen. But uh, uh, the Kings were they were very passive uh, and just setting up their bus. And uh, it was uh, strange in a game where they trailed. And every once in a while, they tried something. There was a really, really nice long bomb pass they made off a D-zone face-off that uh, nearly worked. But they like there wasn't a that. whole lot. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of that sort of really hard counterattacking from them. So maybe it was just a bad game for them or who knows. That's uh, my view. So... Uh, Let's not have to wait around till game seven to take these guys out. Just go hard at them on uh, on uh, Saturday night or Saturday yeah. afternoon, whenever the game is Saturday, and uh, see if you can finish the job. I, I did have a good feeling about today, today's game earlier that 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 uh, Kurt mentioned that he did do Kurt Levins. Mm-hmm. We were both saying this before the game, mm-hmm. and I. But I don't know about the next game because it's it's a real test for the orders because they just seem to. Be not that team that's going to take the easy route. That they're going to they they need to get they need a little adversity to get their juices flowing, and to crank it up and start to play with defensive intensity. And um, so I'm not super confident about Game Six. It, it is a real test for the orders of the maturity, yeah. though. If yes. they can close it out in six, and they get huge. another few days off. Yeah, you get more time off. Series. You get a you get a rest your injuries. You don't risk a game seven, obviously. There's all these re- reasons to play with incredible intensity in the next game and try to, and, you know, play some playoff hockey defensively strong. Like they played a game six last year in under desperate circumstances. We'll do it mm-hmm. this year. Be des- Show that kind of desperation defensively, checking, not letting, because you mm-hmm. you will get your 16 grade A shots. And your probably, three you or know. four goals, yeah. Yeah. All you have to do is play defense like maniacs and um and you can win the game and we'll see if they do that i don't know what's going to happen but in, in that regard any final thoughts bruce or anything you'd like to add uh well it's three days between games are going to seem like a long time but uh it's going to be seem like less of a long time leading three games to two than trailing Ooh, last year you may you. recall that they, they came home uh, you know, they split two in Edmonton, they split two in L.A., and they came home and they lost in overtime in game five when uh, uh, I do believe it was Adrian Kempe went around Duncan Keith and uh, 
popped one very early in the overtime and all of a sudden it was oh my gosh we're you know we're in an elimination game on the road this is not how it's supposed to wind up for a third year in a row and those were very tense days and they uh, and they only won the game six you know basically three to two with an empty netter and that was when Tyson Berry did the damage with the big goal that that won it in the third, and then Evander Kane got the empty netter and flashed the seven fingers in front of the LA fans. It's got them enraged. So some craziness, by the way, on the Evander Kane front. He's uh, uh, posted something on Instagram and uh, with this little girl Cecily that's got uh, uh, cancer, and you know, and uh, uh, it's some kind of Make a Wish Foundation kind of thing where they they take these kids to special events and they took her to LA for game three and she was there proudly wearing her Evander Kane jersey this little girl with cancer now granted the Kings fans may not have known she had cancer but they could have seen she was a little girl and apparently someone spit on her and in the, in the is that true though ladies I mean, washroom and is that did that actually happen did someone admit like because I saw someone kind of saying, that's her that's her version of this the kids version of oh i didn't okay i i I was just catching talk about it and i couldn't i saw them talking about spitting and i just was wondering if it was a figure of speech but it it, so the little girl has actually said someone spit on her that's my understanding oh and there was some real crude talking uh people on the internet talking about what a uh you know what a bad person evander kane was and how you know i saw that uh yeah I mean, no class. And that, anyway, that got called out. And I'll give cr- full credit to LA Kings fans. A whole stack of them made donations to this fund, supporting these, these you know, these kids with with cancer. Which, you know, so I mean, I guess all's well that ends well. But there was there was some pretty uncomfortable things that, that happened. And like said, that yeah, someone would spit at a child. I mean, that's yes. so ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Like, what kind of an idiot does that? I don't know. <sighs> anyway, all right. So, anyway, Evander Kane, for all of his uh, reputation that he came to town with, from anything I've seen that he's done in town, especially with kids, has been first rate. He really does does. Uh, he seems to just like kids, and he does stuff. And and uh, uh, but people who don't like him and his reputation and, you know, and his brash attitude, let's face it, if you were cheering for another team, you probably wouldn't be a big fan of Evander Kane, but geez, you know, keep it, keep it reasonable. Yeah. We've, you know, there, all I know from his play is he's just been a fantastic oiler uh, on the ice and he's gotten better as these playoffs have gotten along. He's just been a force um, the last game and a half. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. Yeah. Thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.